You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. Welcome to Band Geek. I'm Richie Castellano. With me today is my co-host Jarrett Pressman. What up, bitches? And my lovely wife Anne Marie Castellano. Hey. And I'm very excited about today's guest. I mean, I'm excited about all the guests, but I'm super excited about today's guest because today is someone who's really successful and an old friend of mine. So please welcome Susie Benchisil Cider. Thanks, everyone. She's coming to us through the magic of technology. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Susie lives in Los Angeles. I uh, yes, I live in Los Angeles, right and, in the heart of everything. Wow! And uh, so we're in New York. So we're on a Skype call right now. So if things sound a little funny, that's why. But actually, it sounds okay for me. And yeah, sound, yeah. she sounds great. Yes, yeah, sounds beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, now, part of the reason why. Uh, I had Susie on, aside from being a very talented person, she also works in a field that we really haven't covered before on the show. Um, Susie is a composer, a film composer, an orchestrator, and a conductor. And not only does she do stuff for film, but she also tours. So she has like the full gamut of experiences here. And she's done some really interesting projects. Do you want to read some of it down, Muff? Oh, you mean... Well, I call him Muff sometimes, sorry. <laughs> Don't, don't mind me just calling him Muff. <laughs> uh, you mean from SusieCider.com? Uh, let's see here. Uh, credits include Conductor, uh, Lego Jurassic World, Star Trek The Video Game, League of Legends World Championship at the Nokia Center, uh, Piranha 3D, My Bloody Valentine, Richie's favorite movie, Punisher Warzone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, with some films here. We have uh, Minions. Uh, Voice from the Stone, starring the Mother of Dragons, y'all. And uh, <laughs> uh, Black Hat Smurfs 2, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, you guys can look all this up. This is an intense list. Video games, uh, Batman Arkham Knight, Star Trek, uh, God of War 4, um, Lego Jurassic World, and TV, Empire, Revenge, The Goldbergs, Dexter. The list goes on. You've been very busy, huh? <laughs> Yes, I pretty much don't stop working. <laughs> I work a lot. Well, that's great. Um, I just want to talk to everybody about how I know Susie and how I met Susie. Um, we went to college together. We both did our master's degree at Purchase together. And um, when I now you didn't do your undergrad there. You went somewhere else, right? Right. Yeah, I went somewhere else for my undergrad degree, uh, and then you, went to, for my master's. Where'd you go for your undergrad? Uh, Franklin and Marshall College. It was a small liberal arts college in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And what did you study there? Music. music. They just had a general music degree, and it was a really small program. I think it was me and one other guy that graduated our year. Hmm. Uh, but it was a really intense program, too, because you know, the, the uh, professors gave you a lot of attention. <laughs> If, if, it's, if it's just, just you, two, two no people. Yeah. yeah if it's, I mean, you know, per class, we'd have like seven people. 
in a class, you know? Wow. So, you know, those, you know, those theory classes where you have to clap and sight sing. it's like you make a mistake and everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, when you went to purchase with me, we were studying the same thing pretty much, right? Were you both on, were you studio yes. comp? I was studio comp. Yeah. Right. Like so you. at purchase in the, when I, um, I wasn't going to do a master's degree. So when I was ready to graduate, they convinced me to do it because they wanted me to teach, which is something that you did too. You taught for a yes. little bit there. And, yeah, uh, I taught for a year. Yeah. Um, and they wanted me to teach and I wanted to get out. So they said, no, 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 no. You should stay and, and take a master's, you know, get a master's degree. And I said, um, well, you know, I'm a production major. I'm like, I study engineering and stuff like that. And they're like, well, take studio comp. It's like the same thing. So we studio comp was like a big blanket sort of uh, major that encompassed a lot of different things. So you as a film composer got lumped into there and me yep. as a, like a pop producer got pumped in, got lumped right. into there. And, and then, you know, there we are. But also yep. there, it wasn't, that wasn't a huge program. There were maybe what, like 10 people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. There were 10 of us. And then we were, we were paired up too. Yeah. Well, well Classes. that's what I wanted to say. Um, yeah. I, because I just got off my uh, bachelor's there and I, you know, and all, all the teachers knew me and liked me. When you came in, they paired me with you. I think because you were the prettiest girl there, and they said, "Oh, we're gonna give, we're gonna give Richie to Susie." So I think they were trying to do me a favor. But, but we, they, they were, they really were. They were just like, "Oh wait, Susie's coming in. You go with Richie. He needs some help." So we're gonna, we're gonna just. But, so no, but we actually made a good team, and we worked very well together. And and. When she says they paired us up, we had to do projects together. Like there were some projects where um, we had to produce each other's songs, which was a lot right. of fun. And um, oh, so they made you be writing partners? Yeah. Oh no, it yes. was. We did everything together. It was great. That's a very, very interesting way to learn. It, That's it, cool. It was. That's cool. Yeah, especially because Richie and I, you know, have have like very different backgrounds and and different strengths and weaknesses. So uh, you know, it, it worked out really well for both of us. Tell us some of Richie's weaknesses. Yeah, tell us, tell us. She's being too well, nice right now. Well, I'll tell you my weaknesses, which was which was pop and technology, and so you know, Richie was very helpful with that, and and opened my eyes to a lot of that. Yeah, how to fix things. Yeah, <laughs> that um, came in handy a lot, especially when I when I you know just moved to LA and and needed to to do a lot of grunt work in mm -hmm. LA. So being able to like come into a studio and figure everything out, it uh, turned out to be a really great, valuable skill. Oh, so that's good. So you're using the stuff you learned in college. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Every day. Well, I mean, me too. The, the only the thing with the studio comp was that um, there, was, there was a lot of overlay I, or overlap, I should say, with the mm -hmm. classical composition majors for, for right. us. So we, were, so we were put into these sort of weird 20th century composition classes. Which for me, I mean, that might have been great for you, but for yeah, me, yeah, that like, was my that was my strength. <laughs> yeah, but for me, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here right now? Right. right. Um, <laughs> were you there the day I played the Dave from Wendy song in in composition class? I don't remember. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna refresh your memory. I wrote a song in high school called about the guy Dave Thomas from Wendy's. Do you remember remember the Wendy's commercials with the, the yes, old guy with the yeah. white? So I wrote a song about him because I did nothing but eat Wendy's. So I'm actually sitting on a Wendy's chair right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the chair my wife is sitting on. I, I stole from a Wendy's parking it's lot. So anyway, um, twenty years ago. <laughs> 
So that Wendy's burned down twenty years ago. <laughs> you had to have been there for this because this was during the Masters uh, program. But we were right. in we were in a classical comp uh, class. Now you would play things you're working on, you know, orchestrations, compositions uh, in you know for full, full orchestra and stuff that was even though it was for the orchestra, it was pretty commercial sounding because that's what you're. You were going to do. I would yes. show songs that I wrote and songs I produced, right? But then there were people that would show some really off the wall stuff in that class, like you know, right. some like John Cage level stuff. And yeah. uh, so it was sort of a weird cross section, but I guess it was cool. But so what happened is Dave Thomas, the guy from Wendy's, died, and and that week I had to go to composition class. So I go in there and I say, okay. Uh, a hero of mine passed away this week and I was very I was very serious I played the whole thing straight I said yeah and I wrote a song to commemorate his life and achievements and I wanted to play it and everybody's like oh man wow right I played the song and it's Dave from Wendy's and my song Dave from Wendy's is very goofy it's it's on my first album it's a hidden track Mm -hmm. but um really yeah it's that it's after the last track (laughs) there's like a five like a two minute gap really yeah it's a hidden track I always wanted I've had it the whole time. You have it. It's the on, whole time. It's on your the iPhone. The whole time. The whole time. The whole time. <laughs> the whole time. So it's very. It's a very funny song. It's a comedy song, and it, people started giggling. So I would look up and grill them when they started giggling. Like, this oh my is, god, this is serious shit right now. You can't laugh at my my <laughs> idol. And pe- people were like, people were covering their mouths trying not to laugh during that. It was it was quite the experience. Wait, so did you did you try and pass off? Something you made in high school as college homework? Absolutely. Oh, okay. No, but people did that. People would say, here's a piece I wrote a long time ago. Because what it was, it, it was a discussion class. Like, you would play something, and then the whole class would discuss it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It was cool. It's like performance yeah. workshop. Yeah, exactly. The, it's not just the professors tearing you apart. Exactly. Oh, that sounds so nice. So, one thing, um, one of the things that Susie and I did together was... Um, she wrote a song and I had to produce it and I wrote a song and she had to orchestrate it. And maybe I'll play that song during this episode at some point. Dave from when? Yeah, just not my song. I don't want that to ever really play today. Please. Don't worry about it. Your secret is safe with me. No, but, um, my song I've never played for anybody. So maybe I'll play some of that and people might like to hear that, but. Is this Lonely Nights? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was making an album, like, I was trying to make a pop album with songs that I wasn't going to sing, like, for other artists, but I never sold anything, so I just have, like, the demos, and you wrote this killer, killer cello part for it. It's awesome. So maybe I'll play that. I'm not even sure you, I think you're giving me too much credit, because I feel like I I wrote something pretty whole notey, and I think (laughs) you were like... Thank you. This is great. And then you went home, and then and then sort of Did I really, do that? yeah. Sounds about Which I right. Was fine with. I mean, it was, oh. yeah, I mean, it's your song. I have, I have a bad reputation here in the, on the in the Band Geek Studio for doing things like that. So you, you just confirmed what everybody, everybody's suspicions here. Sounds about right. <laughs> sounds, sounds yep. Like, yep. Yep. Sounds like that. I did, I, 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 I did hire you a very good uh, cellist, so I think I remember that. Ben Ben Rogers. I think that was his oh, name. Oh, okay. solid name. So you know what? I'm going to play that right now, actually.
Wow, what a killer cello part. <laughs> Sounds like you doctored it, you asshole. <laughs> Teach me how to feel. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I've talked about you doing, uh, Jarrett, is um, when you... Jarrett's a comedian. He's not very funny, but he's a comedian nonetheless. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, but he's... Uh, but, um, the idea that he thinks he's a comedian is actually quite funny. Now. Yes, that's, that's the end of his routine, that he's, you know... Uh, but um, no, he's quite funny. He's very good. He, and when he wanted to become a comedian, he moved and just picked up and went to Chicago. Now you're from Maryland originally. Yeah, Baltimore. So you went to school in Pennsylvania. You went yep. to New York, and then once you graduated, you went to California. Yes. So to me, that that blows my mind, because I I think I give people a lot of credit who have the guts to do that. I never had the guts to do that to just. I, I was always like, eh, I'm 20 minutes away from New York City. I'm good. You know what I mean? Right. I and I live around the corner from my mom, so I'm okay. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that was that was not a decision that came very easily for me. Um, so my first job out of college was um, a boarding school teacher. Um, so I taught music at a, at, a, at a boarding school called Millbrook School. And, um, and I, and, Working in film music was like a pipe dream of mine that I was like, oh my God, that would be just my dream job to do that. But, you know, I was, I don't know if, I, I'm just a very practical person. I was also raised by Asian parents that, you know, wanted me to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> you don't say. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, you know, I, I mean, it was my first job anyway. I was 22 years old. I was, um, teaching music at a boarding school. Well, you did teach and at Purchase before that. What? You did teach at Purchase before yeah. that. And, and no, quick no, no, side... no, I taught at Purchase after that. Oh, so really? I taught it, yeah, I taught at oh, boarding okay. school first for, for, I think it was two two years or three years or something like that. Um, and so, so yeah, I did have this pipe dream, um, you know, but I was, I was basically just trying to keep my head above water, you know, with this new job teaching music. It was tough. Um, and, and as it turns out, you know, um, you know, I was, I was conducting, um, like five, six ensembles a day. Um, that's how I got really good at it was, you know, teaching high school students, you know, teaching choir, teaching community groups and jazz ensembles. And, and so I was conducting, um, like four or five groups a day. Um, and then that was my first year. So I made it through my first year of teaching. Then my second year of teaching, um, there was, it might have been my third, um, I ended up teaching Alan Menken's daughter. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. The Little uh, Mermaid. Wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think eight-time Oscar winner, Alan Menken. Jeez. Uh, and we met in the school cafeteria when he was dropping his daughter off um, at, at boarding school. And I met him, and he was just lovely. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, I've always wanted to do film music. You know, can I, can I ask you questions and stuff like that? And that turned into a really cool, um, you know, ongoing thing where I would, just, I would just ask him questions. And he was, you know, I loved, see, I love New Yorkers. Um, and I love living in New York because they're just so honest. Um, <laughs> I like where the story is going. Yeah, and, and so and 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 Alan is a New Yorker. I mean, he he lives, you know, he lives in New York. He he works in Hollywood, 
Um, but what was great about it was he would just tell me like all of what was great about the industry and what was terrible about the industry, you know, and he knew it all. And, you know, so, um, I think it was like, maybe, you know, we continued this, this whole thing while I was in grad school and I would continually talk to him and he would say, you know, I'm sorry, but you really, if you really are serious about, you know, film and TV, you got to move to LA. He's like, you know, even though I live in New York, he's like, you really have to. And, um, and that's still advice that I actually think is true. Um, people could argue that the internet has opened things up, um, where, um, you can work from anywhere. I still don't think that's true. Um, I think you really do need to live, um, in LA in order to work really steadily in film and TV. Um, because really it's, it's a business out here. You know, there was, there's a culture in New York where, I feel like um, I'd be expected to work my day job, which was would be teaching or or substitute teaching, and then and then when I get home and I'm exhausted, I had to I could write music mm -hmm. um, for a couple hours, and then so there was there's that culture, but there's also the the culture of money, like where in LA it's really a business where you know you can throw a rock and meet somebody in in the entertainment business. Um, who makes a living doing that. And you can't really say that about New York. Um, you know, this, this starving artist thing is, is almost like praised in New York. Right. Um, do you think, and, the, do you think the benefit um, of living out there is like you said, you know, you can pretty much work from anywhere. Like if somebody asks you to, you know, uh, orchestrate or write something for, you know, a specific piece and you could do it from anywhere and, and send it to them. But do you think the benefit of being in LA is somebody says, Oh, we'd like you to sit down with this person or brainstorm yeah, with this person. Absolutely. It just makes life incredibly easier. Yeah. Or, Hey, you know, I have this, I have this film or, or I have this project, you know, let's, let's get together for coffee. Yeah. Right. Just you a know? snooze factor. Exactly. Um, you know, meeting, meeting people at, at parties and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, now I would say, you know, the people that I work for have kind of become my LA family. Like I see them all the time because they're, they're friends of mine. They're, you know, they're part of my whole life in LA. Um, you know, and of course, you know, I, I still keep in touch with people outside of that, but I, I do strongly feel that, you know, that you do need to live in LA to do that. Um, and it's funny because, I, I meet people all the time who, you know, live in, you know, I, I meet people in Austin, Texas and, and Houston and Dallas and, and they'll say, you know, um, I really want to do this. And I, and I just say, move to LA. And they're like, that's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, you know what? Like it was crazy what I did too, but it was worth it. Um, you know, that's I mean, a, I was, that's a scary move. Like how terrified were you is. when you moved? <laughs> I was, you know, I was really terrified. I did, I did have something to move to where I, I applied, um, to the USC film scoring program. Um, so I did have like some kind of purpose, right. um, being there and it was a one year program that would get me out to LA. Um, and I actually applied three times. Wow. Um, and I think I got waitlisted the first time, rejected the second, and then waitlisted the third time, and then taken off the waitlist. 
So, and I'm not even embarrassed to say this. No, you shouldn't you know? be. <laughs> no, because you know what? It's, it is about persistence too. So much of this business is about persistence and, and, and going after something that you're really passionate about and that you want. Um, so I did do that. It was scary. I was, I was, um, you know, I left, I left a teaching job that was, um, you know, I was making about $60,000 a year. Um, you know, I had a, I had a boyfriend at the time. Um, but there was always just this voice in my head that, well, that just knew that I needed to give it a shot, you know, while I, while I don't have kids, you know, while I don't really have to worry about someone else to take care of, um, that I just really needed to go after it or I would always wonder. Um, so I did do it and I, you know, I, I moved into, you know, I had no money. Um, I pretty much was broke by September and I moved in August. Oh boy. Um, you know, and and I lived, you know, I lived in a cockroach infested in apartment. Um, and I lived off of pasta and ramen noodles. Um, but I could, but you can do that. You know, that's the thing. You're 28. You don't have kids. You can do that. I do that um, now when I'm 36. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not the end of the world. It's like you're, you're going after something that you really want to do. And yeah, it is crazy and it's bold, but you know, I, 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 truly believe that luck favors the bold, you know, people that make bold choices and that, that really go after what they want, um, you know, do tend to succeed because they don't have any other choice. So you're in, you're in California, you're at the, you're, you're studying and yeah. you're broke and you're living in a crappy apartment. When does thing, when do things start to turn around a little bit for you? Um, well, you know, I think I made it through enough to pay for tuition. It was USC. Um, I had saved enough money to get through the year. Um, so that that year was an intense year. Uh, we we were essentially learning to score the picture, orchestrate, copy the music, and then conduct the music every two weeks. Can I can I stop you for one second? Can you sure. explain to our listeners the difference? Like, what does an orchestrator do? What's a copyist? Like, can you explain the whole um, yeah. the whole process? Absolutely. Um, so it is. I mean, it is a little vague because composing can be a lot of things. Um, composing can be just writing a theme, um, or it can be writing a fully finished piece. Like, for example, we discussed this a lot. Uh, we said when like Danny Elfman writes something, he hands a theme to an orchestrator who does the heavy lifting, as opposed to when John Williams writes something, it's it's more fully fleshed out. We we used to talk I, about this yeah. all the time. Right. I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I I think that may have been true a long time ago with Danny Elfman. I'm I'm pretty sure he's he's more thorough now. Ah. Um. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean John Williams does does write every single note. Um, and everything is flushed out, um, and, and his orchestrators have to, you know, basically take his paper, his, his scores on paper and put them into, you know, Finale or Sibelius or something like that. Um, you know, and then the copyist, uh, takes, well, and so an orchestrator, um, is everything in between. Like the final product that an orchestrator has to, has to produce is a final score, no matter what they're given. So 
if they're just given themes, they have to produce a final, fully flushed out, fully orchestrated score. Um, or if there's um, a composer that has, you know, fully realized all of his ideas in every line, then really they're just um, putting articulations in, dynamics, um, making sure that everything's in range, um, making sure that you know, the people that need to breathe, like wind players and horn players are breathing. Um, you know, they... You're saving lives. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real they thing. They collapse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thinking of the string players and, and how they're going to bow um, everything and how they're going to phrase things. Um, so really the minute details. I kind of um, equate it to a composer will often draw a picture and an orchestrator will color it. Okay. Um, but it is really vague because in this industry, um, you know, I get everything. Um, I get almost complete um, uh, compositions or I get compositions where I have to arrange some things where it is almost borderline composing. Right. Um, I have to write a B theme. I have to, um, you know, add chords to, um, to the strings and the winds and, and, you know, really color things. Um, but the final product always has to be the same where it's, um, a fully realized score. How does that work with, um, you know, uh, credit and, even royalties maybe like, cause if you're doing composing, do you get credit for it at all? Uh, no. So it's just, so basically the orchestrator is like the unsung hero of every film score you've ever heard. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, but you know, th that's, I mean, that is the stereotype, but you know, I look at what a composer has to deal with, with, um, studio politics, with director producer relationships and I don't really want to do any of that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm happy to to be in front of my computer and receive files and make it sound great, um, no matter what I get. Um, you know, a lot of times it already sounds really great, and I'm just like, oh, well, let me just think of this idea. Maybe I'll just make these strings solpant instead of just normal. I mean, it's right. just, you know, it's just whatever. And um, but you know, I mean, I I'm married to a composer. So, you know, I know what that life is like, um, you know, and it's just something that I've, I've never been interested in. Um, and also composers um, always have to deal with a lot of the technology. Um, they always have to mock up their music and, you know, spend 20 grand a year in sample libraries um, and always keep up to date. Whereas I don't really have to do that, um, you know, because everything that I work on is getting recorded by a live musician. And also the another thing that you're you talked about studio politics and mock-ups. In, in my understanding, now this is your field, so please feel free to correct me. Um, the composer works very closely with the director, and basically the director drives the composer nuts, <laughs> going back and going back and forth. And he, and and most uh, and directors don't read music, and they don't want to hear a partial theme. They want to hear as much as they can. Well, yeah, I mean those are stereotypes, you know. Um, and that's, and stereotypes are, are what they are. It's not necessarily true. Um, I mean, the director is, is good at what they do right. and, and, and then they're, they're hiring somebody because, you know, a composer, cause they're good at what they do. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are directors that drive composers crazy. Um, <laughs> but 
But, you know, there are also directors that are really inspiring and you just want to be on board, you know, because they're a leader. And, you know, I've, I've worked with composers that, you know, like they are so inspiring that, you know, and, and you just kind of trust them after a while that, that they're not going to lead you astray. So they may make requests from you. And after years, I'm just like, okay, you know, that's fine because it always, you know, it always turns out to be a better product, like their vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I trust them a lot. So let's talk about the, um, the tech, uh, aspect. Cause you mentioned Finale and Sibelius. Uh, what do you, you use personally? I use both. Use both. Now, is there is there a demand for both? Like, do you have to be able to use both, or is is there your own reason for that? Um, it is. It's beneficial to me to use both. Um, I have a composer that um, likes to to um, finish finish his scores, um, where he'll write and he and he won't necessarily write with the full intention of handing it off to me and it to be done forever. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll just. He'll, he'll write and be like, oh, I know I'm going to finish it, so I'll just, you know, have Susie go through it and do a pass, you know, put dynamics, put articulations in and flush things out. But he he knows he's always going to, at the end, look at it and, and finalize it and, and put put more details that he only was in his brain at the time. Um, so, um, I, I mean, I kind of have to work in whatever... Um, you know, works for right. everyone. And, and as a result, I'm able to just say, oh, yeah, you know, I can do both. Um, that's not very common, though, um, but it's starting to become more common where people are becoming proficient in both programs. Now, when you're done, um, you, you finish your orchestrations, everybody's happy, um, and they're going to record it. Do you attend the recording sessions? Um, well, there's a set, there's another step. It needs to go to the copyist. Oh, I'm sorry. Continue. The copyist um, takes every line from my score um, and separates it. So I may have a flute one and two line where there's two notes oh, playing. Oh, okay. And so, um, uh, the, or two voices, uh, and, and the copyist will separate them. So flute one will have just their flute one part. Flute two will have their just flute two part. Um, so... Um, they will copy all the music. It's a very, very big job. Uh, it takes a lot of skill um, because it's sort of the last line of defense um, before uh, it goes to the scoring stage. Because, um, you know, recording music is highly expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the copyists are really the last ones to see it. So they need to look up and down the score and make sure that things look right, you know. They find wrong notes. They find things like that, things that would take time at a at a recording session to fix. Um, and you never really want to, you know, just have eighty people sitting there while you're trying to figure out who has the wrong note. Um, have you ever done that? Have you ever been the copyist? Yes. Yeah, I actually do. I, I do do that um, at Disney Studios. Oh wow! Yeah, so I freelance there as well. Um, a common a common thing, actually, um, for people that don't know me very well in L.A. is that um, they think I'm, like, three different people or four different people. So they, <laughs> they see this person that's representing Disney and is the copyist. And then they see, you know, another time there's, like, a conductor that's conducting a session or or a concert. And then there's, you know, I, I rarely write. Um, I, I do sometimes. 
Um, but most of my career is, is that, um, you know, and then, and then there's just, you know, the orchestrator in me, that's just at a session hanging out because I orchestrated the music, um, you know, and, and I may not have been the, the conductor on it. So I'm just, I'm just there. So you do attend the sessions. I do attend the sessions if I can, um, you know, sometimes they're in LA, sometimes they're elsewhere. Um, I have, I have a session coming up in London in two weeks where I'm not going to go to that. Right. Um, and, and it's just because it's, it's really like a half a day of recording, um, and you know, budget reasons and things like that. So it just kind of made sense uh, for me not to go. But I mean, for the most part, I do go. Now, when I, um, I got to work on a video game. I didn't do the the score or anything. I did a they they had a promo song for a new character they were uh, releasing, and I got to go record and go to their studios. And they told me a lot of video games are doing their music in Eastern Europe. Do you find do any of your uh, orchestrations end up there? Oh yes, uh, I just recorded there two weeks ago, and I'm recording on Saturday in uh, Bratislava. Really? Which and, is in, and, yeah, that's in Slovakia. Oh, so you're going there? <laughs> no, um, I'm actually going to. Well, I there's a there's a program called Source Connect where uh, you go to go to a studio or your computer, and you can connect with the studio in um, Bratislava, and oh, then just wow. monitor from there. So you're basically just in the booth, um, but you're just in Los Angeles. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And, and so what, do you have to wake up at four in the morning to do that? <laughs> no, it's actually worse. You have, to, um, you have to go when you're when you're ready to go to bed at like ten, ten thirty. When you're ready to, to go to sleep, you actually have to leave your house and drive to the studio for an hour. Get there at eleven thirty. Oh, so you can't do it from your house? Well, I mean, we we can. Um, but sometimes things go wrong, and I don't have the skills to like troubleshoot the ah. connection. Um, and, and this project happened to be a higher budget project. So we, you know, we rented a studio, um, to do this at where there was a technician that was specifically there to make sure that Source Connect, um, was working because it doesn't always work <laughs> very well. It does, it does need somebody that knows, you know, that knows their stuff to be able to, um, you know, connect, um, and, and troubleshoot if things go wrong. Right. Um, so yeah, and then and then nine a.m. in Bratislava is midnight in L.A. Oh. So you you start the session at midnight, um, and they go four hours. So you you run the session from midnight to four a.m. And then this is brutal. There's a lunch break oh. at four a.m. <laughs> till five a.m. And then you run the session from six a.m. till nine a.m. And uh, and it's rough because you know you're you're having to pick out mistakes and 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 produce the music, um, and and you're exhausted. <laughs> right, and you're also yeah. just a head on a screen to them. <laughs> you're not yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> no, they don't even see me. They just they just hear me. Oh my god. So um, I have a couple other questions for you. Um, yeah. Now you also conduct. Yes. Because you do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am four different people, yes. <laughs> um, now, do you conduct any of the orchestrations, or is that a whole other um, area? Of I, I do conduct most of my orchestrations, yes. Ah, okay. That's great. 
Um, yeah, the, the only reason why I didn't go to Bratislava uh, was was because, you know, everything was on a tight schedule, you know, and and I was I just needed to be here, you know, running things and orchestrating instead of flying, you know, for 18 hours and dealing with all of that. <laughs> so let me ask you some some nuts and bolts questions here. Uh, what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a score or or the weirdest instrument you've had to use or something that like you just sort of like scratch your head like like what am I supposed to do with this like do you ever get those sorts of moments uh yeah um <laughs> I have I have a like one of my favorite composers always um he always puts these strange instruments um on the score and I always have to google them <laughs> <laughs> Like what? What are the ranges? What are you know? So I mean, there some strange things like like the bukhorn. The what? B u k k e, horn. H o r n. Is that like a Norse thing? Like a <laughs> yeah, Nordic? Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like that. Um, like I just one. I just orchestrated a score. Now this isn't this isn't an uncommon instrument, but this is uncommon instrumentation where I I orchestrated a video game score that had seven harps. Wow. Um, that was that was a challenge unto itself because harp is a very complicated instrument where you know you they can't play they can't play C C sharp D because they don't have the string for that um, you know it's it's you know it's not a chromatic instrument so you know you have to leave time in order to for them to play that you can you can do C to D flat but then you can't play D natural. Oh, because they're, they're um, changing their the layout all the time, the right? Pedals, With the pedals. Yeah, yeah, okay. they're changing the pedals, and they need time to change the pedals. So imagine seven of those. <laughs> well, I'm, from a, from an audio perspective, I'm just imagining that as Mush City, like and and. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, they, they were um, they were designed in a way to not to not be, but and, and it was a it was a game where they were supposed to be underwater anyway. Okay. So. so. <laughs> Uh, but it was, it was really cool. I mean, this composer that I, I work for, he always kind of comes up with these these crazy ideas, and I'm like, okay, this is fun, and I, you know, I learn a lot, and it's it's very professionally rewarding for me. Do you th- now? Because you, I, I learned from you, and you learned from me when we were in college. But do you think when you're orchestrating, do you think of of audio while you're doing it? Like, uh, I really shouldn't have this much stuff happening in this frequency range. Like, do you think about that? Oh, all the time, and I think of. Um, think of Debussy math a lot too. What is like, that? Debussy math, like thinking of, um, okay, I've got, I've got 16 violins. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think of it more when I have smaller, more intimate um, music um, where I'm dividing, if, am, am I dividing the strings too much? Um, because for example, a, like unless it's a quartet, if you've got maybe two violas, you know, you don't want them playing high in octaves because it's just going to sound like shit. Right. Um, you know, same thing with violins. You just have to really think about how many people you have on each note all the time. So I, I think about Debussy's all the time. And see, um, see, for me, that's like the chorusing effect. Like, how many times do I want to double this till it starts sounding good? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, you know, then you got to deal with, like, things sounding out of phase, mm-hmm. too. Um, and things not sounding right. So, and, and you have to find the most musical solution for everything. What do you do in the sense of like, if you're doing something for a film score and 
it sounds beautiful and there's an 80 piece orchestra and you're recording it and you know this is what it's going to sound like when somebody's watching it in a theater but then you know somebody's also going to be watching it on their phone and using like earbuds does that ever like come into play when you're orchestrating something the like the complete difference in the audio um um no i mean i always i always go for you know how it's going to sound in the theater yeah, that would be someone like my, like me. That would be my problem, not her problem. Yeah, that's like you know when when it's all done, like I have to make it sound good on all the the platforms. She has to make it sound good on just in the room, and you know. Right. Yeah. Although you know, I do have to say, and I'm not going to criticize anybody in particular, but like when I've seen um, when I've seen music that um, is is for theater, and they make it into a movie, I've been disappointed by the, the, the sound because, you know, theater orchestration is small right. and they, they make the most out of smaller instruments. But then, then these guys get these huge orchestras and it's still orchestrated small. And I'm like, wow, there's so much space and, 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 you know, and, and sound potential that you can have because you have a theater Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've been disappointed in, in some of the movies lately where, where the theater orchestrators have not taken advantage of that. And maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's just not what they were instructed. I mean, you know, you never know like who's making these decisions, you know, it may not be the orchestrator or the composer's decision. It may, it may be, you know, a producer's decision or a director or somebody. Um, but I haven't liked it because, um, you know, the, it didn't have the vastness that it could have. You know, because you're seeing on the picture, you're seeing what's in the theater on the big screen. So you should hear, you know, an equal amount of music. Right. When um, there's a funny thing I wanted to mention. You worked on one of the Star Trek movies. Am I right? Uh, Into Darkness. A little bit. Yes. Well, I was not a big player on that. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't matter because when I went to go see it in the theater and I saw your name, I stood up and cheered. And everybody oh, looked at me like I, was, like I was an asshole. Like, what is this guy doing right now? I'm like, <laughs> yes, it <laughs> Star Trek. I, <wasn't, laughs> I um okay, so that's actually a funny story. Um, so so the main orchestrator of of Star Trek and Darkness is this guy um, Tim Simonek, who has been the longtime orchestrator Michael Giacchino for a really long time. They are sort of one of the longest like composer orchestrator marriages. Um, but Tim also conducts, um, you know, during the session. So when there's things that need to be done. Um, you know, there are orchestrators that have to come in because, you know, Tim is just on the podium conducting, he can't be orchestrating at the same time. And so, um, that day, um, and this is, this is a good lesson for everyone (laughs) that day. So I am always a very punctual person. And, uh, and so I was called as the second librarian to, Star Trek Into Darkness. So there's a lead librarian and there's a second librarian. And we basically bring the music to the stage and we sit there with, you know, the files. And if there's changes that need to be done, we make those changes. We print out music um, and we have it on the stage. It's it's a very um, interesting and, and important skill because, uh, you know, time is money. So you need to really be able to work fast and, and problem solve. So I actually showed up because Los Angeles is awful with traffic, um, as many people know. So I happened to show up to, um, I think it was Fox, where they recorded it, um, about an hour and a half early. 
Um, and I like to do that because it doesn't stress me out. I'm, I have to be there by, you know, 9 a.m. or something. And I was just there at 7.30. Wow. And I was like, right. I'm like, I'll just relax and have some coffee and eat my breakfast. And the composer happened to be there. And he says, hey, where's Marshall? And, and, and Marshall was a first librarian. And he was stuck in traffic. And uh, I said, oh, he's stuck in traffic. He goes, oh, okay, well, can you do this? I said, sure. And so he had me orchestrate a piece of music. It was very small. It was like just a few bars, uh, you know, but I did it. Um, and it was because I was sitting there with my coffee and my breakfast at 7.30 a.m. that I was able to do that, you know, and the other guy was in traffic. And that was that was why I got to do that. That's an excellent, um, excellent lesson for anybody listening to the show who wants to be a pro. You got to be yeah. there. You got to be there. Yeah. yeah. You got to be there. You got to show up. Yep. Be early. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, so, uh, we're the name of our show is Band Geek. So the fact that you worked on a Star Trek movie is very, very impressive to us, even if it's only four bars. It's like this. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did orchestrate the entire score of of the video game, though, which uh, has all this. Online, Star Trek Online, is that the one, or is it the, the uh, movie? No, Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek, the video game, I think it's what it's called. Star Trek. Oh, is that the one on Xbox? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I will look out for that later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about that really quick. What is, um, are there differences in um, orchestrating video games to film? Because I know film, there's a finite amount of time, and in video games, things have to loop quite a bit, as I understand. Right. Um, it all has its it's, you know, quirks. Um, yes, video game music has to loop um, and also be interactive. Um, so it does have to change. Um, I, I don't feel as much pressure to duck down into dialogue um, because they're rarely, you know, it, it, it's just not an issue that I have to deal with that much with video games, um, especially all the action stuff. And, and, um, and what you mean by duck down is when you either lower or thin out your score to... To, right, uh, to make space to accommodate, right. to accommodate um, you know dialogue or special effects um, or sound effects um, and then with movies um, movies have to deal with a lot of changing picture um, so so I do have to you know do a pass and then sometimes they'll reorchestrate they'll, they'll recut the music so I've got to um, you know, change change the orchestration or change the, the metering of it to reflect the the timing of the new picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's that, and then orchestration for television is a is a total different world where you have to turn you have to turn around like twenty minutes of music, um, you know, to forty minutes of music in a day and a half. Oh, geez, are, are- yeah. Are most of your deadlines ridiculous like that? Uh, yeah, uh, but I don't. I don't even. I don't even think of it because I'm just so used to it. Um, you know, you just learn to streamline and, and work really fast. So I, I wouldn't even think of it as ridiculous. I mean, I think to an outsider it would be, but it's just it's just our way of life. Um, you know, if if I um, if I didn't have deadlines, I don't think I would get anything done. Take me. Um, I would, yeah, I would just sit and just, you know, toss around ideas and then I, you know, go watch, you know, a television show for a while. <laughs> just, you know, I just wouldn't focus. I, I um, do agree so. with that. I mean, uh, uh, a deadline forces you to commit to an idea 
Whereas when you have en- like endless amounts of time, you- you'll never think of anything. But a deadline, you're like, oh, this is the first idea I had. Yeah. Okay, go with it. Go. And it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I-, I mean, you know, television's like that too. When you're exchanging for television, it- it's like it has to be right because <laughs> you don't have time for it to be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. This is the this is the first idea. We're going with this. Everybody, shut up. We're going with this. Exactly. Um, take me uh, through a typical week for you. Like, and it, like, how much of it are you spent hunched in front of a computer? How much are you spent running around and driving through LA traffic? Like, just give me a sample week for Susie Cider. Um, okay. Uh, well, my week is usually seven days. I don't really get weekends. Um, I will get a surprise one, maybe one day or half a day here and there. Um, so, so my, my days kind of all blur together as, you know, like a weekday does not distinguish between that and a weekend. Other than the <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess, okay. On, I'll just, I'll just talk about, you know, how things were. So we, you know, I freelance at Disney, um, as a copyist and proofreader. And so, um, you know, we, we had just come off of, I think on Saturday, I, I went into the office and I worked on um, Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Wow. Um, and we were there for about seven hours uh, working on three cues that were going to get recorded on Monday. Um, and then, so Monday, I didn't have to go anywhere because the librarians at Disney are at, you know, the recording session and things are going well. Um, so, you know, Monday was, uh, me orchestrating a movie, uh, uh, Underworld, Blood Wars. Wow. Um, we're so excited for that movie. <laughs> oh my God. And now we're more excited. Oh yes. <laughs> Sorry. So, so we're we're uh, nerds. Yeah, so. <laughs> I've, been or- I've been orchestrating that. Um, so the last two days. Is that from home? Been, you do that from home? Uh, I'm doing that from home. Okay. Um, so I've been orchestrating Underworld Blood Wars, um, and this is our last session. We had, um, we had four sessions, um, two weeks ago in Bratislava. So we have one pickup session on Saturday. So, but I have to get everything done because I'm conducting, uh, a show on Friday. So I'm getting everything done ahead of time. Um, I have an assistant that copies my music who's great and he also keeps me organized um, so I'm orchestrating the music, then I'm sending stuff off to him to to copy and PDF things and upload them to Bratislava. Um, and then today, half the day, I actually got an offer for a new show um, with Disney. So I'm I'm uh, conducting a show. So I'm on my phone with my agent half the day talking about you know uh, how I'm going to work that out with my schedule. In are, are you talking about a live show? Yes. Okay. Uh, that's that's the conducting part of it. Um, so, so yeah, I'm trying to work that out with my schedule um, because I'm conducting several shows. So um, that had me traveling everywhere. So it's just a matter of like whether there's a direct flight from like from one city to the next so that I could get there in time. Um, so, you know, half the day was spent trying to deal with just the logistics of having to do, you know, one show on a Tuesday and then another show in another country on a Wednesday. Um, so I've been doing that all day and talking to my agent about that and getting files to study scores um, and getting picture. 
For these, um, let me ask you something about that really quick. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt because um, this is a big part of what you do, and I see this on your social media feeds a lot that you're in different places and you, you got the nice suit on and you're conducting. Um, yeah. the, the, you do this quite a bit, right? You go on tour. Yeah, I uh, do. Yeah. Um, is this stuff you orchestrated or, or are you there just to conduct in this case? Um, in this case, the, the current show that I'm on tour, I did orchestrate it. Yes. Okay. And, um, and you, where can people find your schedule if they want to come see you? Um, they can probably look on my website, susiesider.com. There you go. Um, and this is, uh, if, is this with all local orchestras? Like you go to different cities? Yes. And, okay. So you bring the music with you and they bring you and maybe a few singers or a couple people and no, they, no, those singers? Just, uh, everybody, well, you know, we bring, we bring a show host, uh, we bring a technical director and a video director and then sort of like a producer that's wrangling and me, mm -hmm. um, and we go into a new city, um, and the orchestra is all local. And then we, you know, we rehearse a show. And it's it's not a lot of rehearsal time either. We have. Yeah. Um, Amory and I have done this sort of thing before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, but yeah, we yeah, understand. A little to no rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. No. Like yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe half a day of rehearsal, and you got to go. <laughs> not even half a day. It's yeah. Our our rehearsals are usually two hours, two and a half hours. For oh uh, for a show time of like an hour and forty minutes. Oh, ouch! That's horrible. We've talked about. Yeah. Do you just run cues in, in situations like that? Uh, yeah, I I run through everything, and and that's the nice thing about conducting is figuring out because most musicians will hear their mistakes and then fix it. You know, so like you know the second time is going to be fixed, and the second time is going to actually be the performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I usually say that. I say, okay, that'll sound great the next time with we'll the performance tonight. So just don't make that, you know, they don't make those mistakes again. You know, I, I, I you have to trust your musicians. So, um, so I just trust that a lot of mistakes will get fixed. If there's real ensemble things that are, that are difficult, I will run through it again. It's just enough time to run through everything and go back and fix about six or seven things that you hear. Wow. So, and I won't, I won't run through the entire thing again. I'll go, you know, just to those bars and I'll have them, you know, play it again, or so, I'll, I'll have just a specific group of, uh, players play it. So are you taking notes the whole time you're conducting the first the run through? Uh, just more like mental. Yeah. Actually I have, um, little markers or pencils. So when I hear something sour, then I'll just quickly, you know, from my podium, reach over and grab grab something in my pencil case and put it in the pages so that I remember because mm -hmm. I'll I'll just forget, you know, <laughs> if I don't if I don't put a little marker there. Right. So anyway, getting back to I, that was a detour. So this is this is ridiculous to me, by the way. You're, you, the pace you're keeping. This I'm I'm exhausted listening to you talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So okay, you, you you do your gigs, you come back, and then what happens for the rest of your week? Okay. So so um the rest of my week, well, okay, so Thursday I leave from Milwaukee. Uh, I'm going to go conduct there. Um, Thursday I leave. Then Friday is the actual show, so I rehearse them the day of, and then I perform. And then on Saturday I leave for Seattle. Um, and uh, that just happens to be, uh, you know, a really important work colleague is, is having a big birthday party, you know, mm -hmm. and that's that's – that's fun, but that's also work too, because um, that's important. Those are relationships that are important. Um, so we're going to that uh, for the weekend, and then, 
and then I think coming back to LA on Tuesday. And then start the craziness again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's always kind of crazy. I think that, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I do, I talk to my husband about this a lot. Like we do operate on a very highly productive um, schedule. <laughs> um, but I, I, I have to say that when I don't have things to do, you could you could see me on the couch. I'm miserable, and I'm like, I, my life has no meaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you just you just segued me. You just segued me to two questions that I wanted to ask you, and I'm, I'm going to try to ask them both uh, rapid fire because I don't want to keep you from doing what you have to do. Because I feel so bad now that I'm keeping you from working. You're stopping Hollywood. I always make things you know work in my schedule, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first question I'm going to ask is a, is an easy one and a fun one. So, okay, you have a day off. What do you do for fun? Like, what do you do to unwind? If, if you can't, you can't work. Someone says you, don't you cannot work. You know what work. that feels like. Well, I, well I'm asking her. Well, give you the her. right to ask someone else that. You have <laughs> no know. idea how to not work. Okay, something that I kind of need to do for my own well-being is pay bills. Like, I know it's not fun, but I need to do it because it, it like, makes – it, it kind of resets my mental – you know, stability is like, okay, the bills are paid, you know, and, and I've gone to the bank, you know, cause I don't, I don't get time to go to the bank. And, and so I do that. And that kind of makes me feel like it's okay to not work that day. I will always do that. I actually, um, I actually do the same thing. It's an organizational yeah. tactic. Cause it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a version of it, like brain cleaning sort of. Right. Um, uh, almost always go out to lunch with my husband, and it's usually sushi somewhere. Um, Where's the best sushi in L.A.? <laughs> there's a lot of good sushi in L.A. There's no good pizza, though, unfortunately. Um, and then, and then, you know, the afternoon is just kind of hanging out. I, you know, I do like to catch up on TV shows. You know, I am... I, I do love TV and movies. You know, I don't understand people that work in TV and movies that don't own a TV... You know, or, or, you know, like I love the medium that I work in. Um, so I'll catch up on, you know, it's usually my Shonda Rhyme shows um, <laughs> that I'll just catch up on. Um, you know, if I, if I have one day off, that's what I'll do. If I have two days off, you know, I'll go shopping, um, you know, maybe catch up with a girlfriend and mm -hmm. girlfriend lunches last like for, you know, three or four hours. But I rarely mm -hmm. have I rarely have a second day off. You know, it's right. usually one day. So my my next question I want to ask you is, how did you meet your husband? Uh, that's actually a really cute story. Um, I love this, cute stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, you so, don't. Shut up, Jared. <laughs> so um, so I was I just started at USC, um, in the graduate program there, and uh, the composer of Lost. Um, Michael Giacchino had invited our our class at USC and then the UCLA class because they also have a program in film scoring. He invited them both to um, an ep an episode of Lost, and it was 2004, so it was the first season of Lost. And so, I mean, and Lost was such a phenomenon, and so right now people didn't even know like what what was going to begin with Lost because it was such a big phenomenon. But um, so there was a lot of hype surrounding this TV show. Um, so we were invited um, and I was actually the only one out of our class of, I think, 19 that went. Um, really? 
Yeah, because everybody was busy at the time um, doing student films because they were kind of hustling, trying uh. to chase USC directors and things like that. Um, so I showed up at the studio. It was a now defunct uh, studio that has, you know, a lot of studios have closed here in LA. Um, but this studio called O. Henry Studios. Um, and I went in there nervous as anything. I mean, I was terrified. I, I lived in LA for a week and I was about to step into my first recording session. Um, and uh, you know, I, my stomach is just in knots and I walk in and there's this guy at his laptop, really friendly. Who's like, hi, <laughs> and he's really happy and just sort of put me at ease. I was like, okay, hi. And he greeted, he greeted me. He welcomed me to the session. He was just a really friendly face. And, and, you know, we had a brief conversation, um, but he was busy. He was, he was Michael's uh, main assistant. Um, so, and, and little did I know that it was like his, his like first, you know, a couple days on the job too. Um, and so, you know, I walk in after that feeling at ease um, there, I'm standing with all these UCLA students that I don't know. And, um, and we're all standing in a row and the conductor, Tim Simonek, same guy I mentioned, he said, Hey, who wants to conduct a cue? <laughs> and I raised my hand, not realizing that I was the only one that raised my hand. Oh no. <laughs> so I was like, I raised my hand and then I looked around and then I kind of started to put it down. But I was, oh, it's too late. Um, and he goes, okay, well, why don't you prepare this cue? So he handed me this cue and, and he led me to like another little room and he's like, here, practice that cue and, and we'll record it, you know, it, you know, in an hour or so. So it was a cue in three, four. It was the only cue in the entire six seasons of Lost that was in three, four. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I practiced conducting it, right? Then they said, oh, Susie, you're up. So I walk with my cue ready to conduct. And he goes, oh, we don't want to do that cue right now. We want to do another cue. And he hands me a totally different cue. What? <laughs> yeah. So he did this big switcheroo. And I got up on the podium. <laughs> it's just kind of like you're, you're, you leave your body because it's just so terrifying. <laughs> and, and, of course, my brain is still in 3-4. Oh. And Q is in four four, so very quickly for the non musical people. Here's three four one two three one two three. Here's four four one two three four. All right, go on. <laughs> and so they they start they start a click track, um, and I start conducting them, and they play it fine, but I'm conducting in three. <laughs> Because because they're session musicians and that's what they do, you know they just make it work. But of course they called me out on it. The guy was like, "Okay, now conduct it in the right meter," <laughs> which was embarrassing, um, you know. But they love to haze. They love to haze the new the new ones, and that's part of rite of passage. Um, but I I will never forget that. <laughs> which is funny because you know I'm I'm. But I'm, I'm a pretty good conductor now. <laughs> I, made, I made a good career out of it. It's just funny that everything started like that. But you wouldn't have had that story if you did it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I wouldn't have been so mortified and it. <laughs> it's good life um, experience. Yeah, exactly. It's it it builds character. <laughs> um, so so that was the day that Chad and I met. Um, and and we ended up re-meeting again at a French horn concert where <laughs> and this is a nerd like a nerd story because I mean, you know, two people that are just so perfect, you know, for each other would show up at a concert where there's 22 French horns playing <laughs> in a concert hall. You know, so it's like I showed up wanting to hear this and he showed up because actually um, his boss, Michael, uh, had 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 a commission there, you know. And so it's like, of course, nobody, you know, under the age of 30 is going to be there, (laughs) really 40 or 50. You know, this is this is a really unique (laughs) concert. So Chad and I um, re-met again at at uh, at the French horn concert because we were the only ones under the age of 50 there <laughs> and, uh, and we just chatted about our favorite film composer who is Jerry Goldsmith oh, yeah. um, and we just nerded out on our favorite Jerry scores um, you know there was there was actually no romance for a really long time there was no romance for like two years we we were just the best of friends and then, uh, and then he started dating somebody, and then I got jealous, and then, and then, and, <laughs> and then you, and you was, took her out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 we we need to date now. So, yeah. so do you guys work together? <laughs> we do. Um, we we started working together our first year of marriage, <laughs> um, and I laugh because it's like anybody who's been married for a while, like I think they look back on that first year and they're like, how did we ever make it through? Because I think the first year of marriage is really tough. Um, and it was tough for us. It, you know, we were, we were starting a new, um, recording, you know, we we're starting a new concert and, um, and just, you know, starting a new business, trying to get our finances in order. And we started working together, um, because it just financially made sense. Um, a lot of a lot of things. A lot of composers get package deals where they just get you know a certain amount of money and here make it all work. Right. Get, so, get, get your own orchestrator. Get your own whatever. Right. Get, exactly. Um, so it made sense that we would work together on this so that our you know our money would go in the same pot. Right. Um, and it was really tough. Um, I had a hard time separating like the emotions. Of you know, because if somebody tells me that they don't like my work, um, I'm okay with that, you know. But if my husband tells me that he doesn't like what I did, that is really upsetting to me. And I don't know if you can see the glare that Richie is giving Andrew right now. Oh, you're You're glaring at me. I'm glaring at you. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to to hear that criticism, Um, you know. But I I think. Over the years, we've just learned to to figure it out to kind of separate that. And you know, it's also it's also different because the composer orchestrator relationship is pretty cut and dry, where the composer is the boss. You know, so I did I did have to see it that way. I had to see my husband as like, okay, you know, like even though I didn't agree with him, Susie, um, please give us yeah. advice. Please give me and my wife <laughs> advice. No, no, I'm serious because, yeah. for example. Um, and I don't mean to air our personal things here on the podcast, oh, Anne-Marie. No, That's all we do on this podcast. It, it makes things interesting, This I is think. couples therapy with, with Susie Sider. But um, 
No, because we the, the exact issue you just described is what we have. Like, I'll be producing a session and she'll be singing on it. And I'll see right. her sing with other producers. And they'll be like, you know, do this differently. And she's like, okay, no problem. And I'll say... But you have a tone when you say it to me. You're nice to everybody <laughs> well, else who comes into this studio except your own wife. That's my problem. I get the tone because yeah. it's my yeah. wife. And yeah. her yeah. problem is, instead of going, okay, I'll fix it, she goes... What the fuck are you talking about? That's perfect. Right. I never say I mean, it's perfect ever. You know, I totally get that. That's the thing that you just have to you have to kind of put yourself in, okay, if this were any other professional situation that what did not involve my spouse, how would I behave? Um, because I would never ever if if I was being hired by a composer like really backtalk that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do. It just has to be at a certain time you know at, there's at a professional times level can, yeah at a professional level and and i do have to say for the most part um chad and i kind of st- like we stop working at the end of the day um and, and so it's not so engulfing um you know when we open up a bottle of wine it's our time um and that's important to do uh but it is really important to to be able to um, to separate that it just, and just trust yourself and be like, okay, you know, if this were somebody else, you know, would I react that way? Um, you know, we, I mean, I, I, I can't say that we have it down perfectly. Um, you know, uh, Chad just wrote the music to, um, the Microsoft game Recore, and nice. we, we were recording with the, um, London Philharmonic and, um, and I made a suggestion, <clears throat> and that that actually was true. I, I would have just made the suggestion either way, but he was kind of like, no. And then I was, like, <laughs> and, and I and I was like, no, really? Are you sure that you don't want to do this? And he was like, no, let's move on. And um, and the audio director actually pointed out. He goes, that's that's how you know you're married because it's like the tone, the tone that he took. Like, okay, don't even just try to. <laughs> you know, make a suggestion because I'm not going to entertain it. Um, it, it, you know, he, he wouldn't have said that if I were, you know, a working colleague that was conducting from, he would have been much more polite. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the end I was like, okay. And I also know him as my husband and I know his tone. So I'm like, I could read into that and be like, all right, you know, there's no point in me, in me going further than that. Well, I, I do, I do something a little different that, completely irritates my wife um she'll i'll be singing something and she's a much better singer than me and she'll be like no do this like this you're squeezing too hard i'm like leave me alone i know what i'm doing right and i'll (laughs) i'll bang my head against the wall some more and then when she leaves i do what she suggests i won't do it in front of her i wait till i wait till she leaves and she's like oh you did that thing didn't you like no i did it my way no 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 you come in you tell me you go I did that thing. I'm like, after four hours, right? After four <laughs> hours of you blowing your voice out, right? But my fa- my favorite story, and I've told this before on another podcast, was when I was recording my Bohemian Rhapsody cover video, I would do a whole take of the lead vocal. I'm like, that, that was pretty good. And then I'd hear from upstairs in the kitchen, that sucked! <laughs> <laughs> So, but, You're really painting this picture of me, and that's not no, what no, I do. No, no. But the thing is, I I think what she, what fair. she's saying is that even though no, it's even true. though you are a professional and in, in terms of singing, and I have to bow down to your knowledge, I I do. And if I and no, if I was in any professional situation with someone else who is 
what who is a vocal coach like you, I'd have to say, okay, let me try that. But because it's you, I have to break your balls about it before go, <laughs> before yeah. going to it. And, and it's a tone thing. So I, I kind of get where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah. Like, like you, you can, it, it's, it's good sometimes because it say like you, you have a shorthand with this person because they're right. your spouse, but it's also like, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're working right now. Like let's have a little uh, professionalism. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But the thing is though, that like the rewards I think are greater. You know, when you work with your spouse and it works and you make it work, the product is so much greater because it's something that you, you, you know, because you can't help it. You're going to have some emotion into it. You know, you just have to kind of keep it in check. But it's it's impossible to not keep your emotions, you know, <clears throat> involved when you're working with your spouse. But, but man, the, you know, the rewards when you have a final product that you worked on together, you know, and and you creatively worked together, you know, and your partners in life. Like, I think the reward is so much better. And, and I, I think that, you know, you, it's also good to focus on that, mm-hmm. you know, and remember that, you know, yeah, it is it is difficult. But I think I think the final product in the, and it's so much more rewarding to have that. I I have to say that I'm completely impressed by everything you've told me today. I thought this was awesome. I, I learned so much stuff that I never knew, and I feel like the laziest bastard on the planet after listening <laughs> to the pace you're keeping. I, 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 I think anybody listening to this is going to be inspired to go, to step it up and to just you know go for it the way you do. And I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. So, oh, thank th- you. Thank, thank you for having me. Um, is there anything else you wanted to plug or mention before we, uh, we you know ended this today um i guess i you know i just want to say you know for people that are out there that are wanting to get into this you know and not knowing where to start you know i think it's just i think it's just important to to really measure how much you how much you really want to do it because if you're putting up walls um and putting up excuses as to why you can't do it you have to ask yourself you know do i really want this in my life um you know i i do encounter a lot of people that or like, oh, that's my dream job, you know? And I'm like, okay, but will you move to LA? Oh, no way, I'm not moving to LA. Well, it's clearly not your dream job if you're, you know, if you're not willing to move. Right. You know, 3,000 miles. You know, I've, it's like, I'm calling you on your shit, man. Yeah. Like, if you, don't, if you don't really, you don't really love it. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, I, I am productive um, and happy because I really love what I do, you know? Like I, I do work all the time, but I really love it. Um, and you have to love it in order to do this every day. Um, you know, that, what is that, that saying, you know, um, find something you love and then you never work a day in your life. Like I'm just having a blast all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course I get tired, you know, and sometimes it is work, but you know, big picture, you know, it's just something that I really love to do. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And it's also something that like I dreamed about when I was when I was not doing it, you know, when I was a teacher and I was like, oh, I would love to have this life. And, you know, I remember that. Um, So I I never take it for granted. Um, That's why. Yeah, that's why I work my ass off. What do you um, speaking of advice you can give to people starting um, if someone's interested, say someone high school or college age is interested in being um, a film composer or an orchestrator, Mm -hmm. how can they practice? Um, well, I, am all about people taking initiative and being innovative. Um, so, you know, make your own movies or find, 
find somebody that wants to make a movie and score their movie. Um, you know, if, if people are in college or high school, um, you know, find people that are musicians and play together. Um, I always, I, 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 this is funny. I have a, um, I have a student. I, I, I'm not really big into teaching cause I don't really have the time. Um, but there was this girl who, it, she was in an autograph line, um, at one of my shows. And of course, you know, people come up to me and they're like, oh, you know, like, do you teach or will you, you know, mentor me? And, and the funny thing is I say, okay, I'm like, email me through my website. And that eliminates like 99.9% mm -hmm. of the people because Absolutely. they will not, they will not do a Google search, you know, which is really easy to find me and email me. So I'm like, okay, you don't want it that badly. But there was this one girl and she, she, she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm at a school. I don't have a conducting program. And I said, well, I said, if you really want to be a conductor, I said, get, get a group together, you know, and start an orchestra. And her eyes were kind of wide, like it was crazy. And I was like, start an orchestra. You've got people that play instruments that, you know, major in, you know, biology, but they just happen to play instruments. I'm like, just get them together, you know, once a week and play stuff. And so she contacted me through my website six months later and said, so I started an orchestra and we have a rehearsal in two weeks. Will you teach me? And I literally said, oh, shit, I got a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally have no choice. She called your she bluff. <laughs> she called my bluff. She started, she started an orchestra, you know. So it's like I have to teach her because she is so worth my time now. Right. I am, I am so busy, but she's worth my time. And so I've been teaching her. I've been teaching her everything I know. I, I don't you know, I don't even care because I just believe in her. You know, and it's just people like that 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 I'm like, you know, I can't ignore those people. Versus the people that just are like, Oh yeah, hey, will you teach me? And they won't even Google me to yeah. uh, to find my website. You know, well, those are those are, you know, that's that's the difference between people that are successful, you know, in in a field and people that aren't. Well, back to purchase. When I was, I used to give the auditions in purchase, and the thing I used to say a lot is, there are people who go to college because they want to learn how to do something, and then there are people who are already just doing it, who took whatever yeah. they had, whatever resources they could get their hands on, and just did it. Whatever they whatever they wanted to do, they did it. They didn't wait for someone to say, "Here are the magical keys that are going to teach." Right. Here's the secret. And, to and they didn't build, and they didn't build walls. And no. Say like, oh, you know, I can't do this because I don't have money. Yeah. Or I didn't have this, or I didn't ha I didn't know the right people. Right. Here's my film score that I made on my own. Here's my movie that I made. Here's the book I wrote. I didn't wait for anything. I just did it. That's and a that's big problem with students now in general, with yeah. kids in general. Everything is so spoon-fed to them and handed to them that they have no idea how to be resourceful anymore because they don't have to try very hard to get the things they need. They have all these tools at their disposal that they can't use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They yeah, won't use. Exactly. And yeah. it's really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me, it's very frustrating. You know. But, but yeah, there's. That's why you just got to find the gems out there. It's like you know, there are people out there that really love it and 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 really want to do this. Well, I'm really, like I said before, really inspired by this, and I thank you so much for your time, your incredibly precious time. Thank you, Susie. <laughs> You're very welcome. Woo! 
You're holding up Hollywood, Richard. We are. We're stop. Hollywood has just shut down for the last hour and a half because of <laughs> us jerks. But thank you for listening to Band Geek. I want to thank our guest, Susie Benchisil Cider. Woo! My wife, Thanks, Anne everyone. Marie. And Jarrett Pressman joining me today. I've been so quiet today because I've been so enthralled. Yeah, this is, she said. I, I was on the edge of my seat listening to this stuff. But uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this. And thanks for listening to Band Geek. See you next time.